and we have some time, so please feel free to continue the exploration in the form of questions that might be there, but also in the form of you know, whatever kind of explorations or reflections or dialogue that we might have together. Robert and I, and what's your, Carol. Yeah. Okay, please. Thank you. I'm a native New Yorker. Mm. So I'm, I'm my, not my sure. Excuses for my excuses. No, I'm not <laughs> sure if I'm going to run true to type or uh, contrary to type because I'm not exactly sure what I'm going to say. But um, <clears throat> can, so can you just tilt the mic a little more? Is that better? Talk? Yeah, it is. Thank you. So this is uh, kind of an exploration for me. I've been uh, meditating for decades you know, more or less regularly. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I would say deeply or, you know, how committed I, I, I am. I guess I am. I've been doing it a yeah. long time. I had an experience um, in the last sit, which was uh, unusual, unique for me. Um, I slept very little last night, and I... Um, and I'm going out after this, uh, and I was anticipating that I was going to be exhausted. This is going to be a very difficult day, and how am I going to stay awake? And that's the essence of the practice, is to be awake, not to get drowsy. And how is this going to be? Anyway, uh, so in the last sit, I found myself in a rare state of calm and presence that uh, was sustained for uh, the length of the sit, pretty mm. much. Mm. And um, uh, it was very pleasant. My affect was pleasant. Mm. This is, mm. uh, there were not a lot of words. There were a lot of sensations. Mm -hmm. Physical, mostly pleasant. And every once in a while, the um, noticing that this is happening, and this is kind of a different experience for me. Hmm. And the sit came to an end, and it wasn't, uh, I wasn't enlightened. It wasn't, there was no, you know, lightning. There was no, uh, it, it was, in one sense, sort of, okay. That was nice, yeah. and that was different, but it wasn't spectacular. Yeah. Um, and the nicest part about it, I think, was the lack of words, the lack of commentary, the lack of what does this say about me, or what is, you know, mm -hmm. this. Mm. Well, the lack of uh, friction. Uh, lack of friction. Right? The lack of making yes. it much of it. In terms of oh, what's happening, what does it mean? What is it? Right. But as I take this microphone mm -hmm. and talk about this experience, that's when I feel this sense of self mm -hmm. coming back into play. What do I say? Am I going? How will I uh, succeed or not succeed yeah. in articulating okay. what so this experience is? So just let yourself slow down a little bit while yeah. you're doing it. Okay. Right, while you're speaking. Yeah. So and just so you get to track, to see along with, 
right? The, what you're calling the sense of self or any friction that might be there, right? Because I hear you, you know, sincerely recounting not just the experience, but an exploration of the experience, yes. oh, an appreciation for the lack of uh, rhetoric or yes. commentary that went along with it, yes. right? And I'm yes. sensing something that's you know, good and beautiful about that. Yes. Right? So as you're recounting that and telling me, what, what is the extra piece as you just track it? What's the extra sense of self-consciousness or whatever that goes with it? it uh, first of all, there's physical sensations of, um, I feel that my face is red. I don't know if it appears to be red, but I, uh, it feels hot. My face feels hot. Mm -hmm. um, I do feel a little self-conscious. Yeah. Um, I think I'm, you know, stringing sentences together that are yeah, good. kind of, you know. So let yourself feel both pieces. Really track both pieces. One, that you feel a little self-conscious, right? Understandable. Everybody's looking at you. <laughs> huh? we're, looking, we're, we're looking kindly, we're interested, but you know, you've got the focus of attention's on you. Right? And you sort of know that. And it's like, oh, right? It's natural that a little bit of self-consciousness yeah. might go along with that. And also really let yourself feel the other part. Oh, that whatever the, the, the busyness might get going that's generated out the self-consciousness, oh, they're all looking at me, what do they think about what I'm saying, etc., etc. that you don't have to, you, you can leave that alone. And you can let yourself really just feel and track, like you say, on stringing sentences together. So letting yourself feel that there's just a, there's a kind of good, uh, coherent contact and communication happening here. Yes, and... I'm also tracking a, um, a, cer a certain degree of dissociation. Mm -hmm. uh, like, um, I don't quite recognize myself. It's something unfamiliar oh. about this mm -hmm. experience. Mm -hmm. I I don't know where this is going. I don't know where I'm going. Right. Is it, and is that okay? Or okay enough? It's okay enough. Good. Yes. Good. It's okay enough. Yeah. It's, it's a little scary. Yeah. But it's, it's okay enough. Right. Well, makes sense, right? Because our usual habit, particularly when there's self-consciousness, is to assert oneself in some sort of familiar way, right? And now you've stopped, you're not doing that anymore. Right? You've slowed down a little, you're yeah. just tracking. You don't know where you're going. Right. You're not asserting anything. You're just tracking and exploring. And that feels a little unfamiliar, a little vulnerable maybe. Yes. And yet it's okay enough. Yes. Right? And you can basically trust this situation at least is okay in, to do that in. So what's happening now? <laughs> uh, um, um, I don't know if I have anything more to say, honestly. Okay. okay, yeah. I mean, I really notice how something in you just has slowed down a little bit and become kind of simpler and, and sweet in some way. And I would only say when you pass the mic on, just watch out for the. Sometimes what self consciousness does is it wants to replay the situation. 
Like, oh, so what did I say? And what did they think? And <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> All right. Number one rule of speaking, no rehearsal. What shall I say when I get the mic? What shall I say? And no replay. It's much easier. So you, you track. Track what's here now, and then you give the microphone away, and you keep tracking. Maybe there's some residue left over of speaking. Maybe there's even some reflection on oh, what was said, or what was noticed, or what was helpful. But not replaying it back through the lens of self-consciousness, which is not helpful. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Robert. Hi, I'm Robert. Um, around desire. So I was enjoying hearing you talk about it because it allowed me to sort of re reminisce about um, this period of desire for briefcases and uh -huh. then desire for shoes and yeah. then desire for watches. Uh -huh. Fortunately, they were not all at the same time. Um, and so I surrendered. I mean, I resisted a little bit, but then I surrendered, you know, and I just acquired a few briefcases, acquired more than a few pairs of shoes and acquired a handful of uh, Can you hold, hold the mic a little closer? Uh, I acquired a handful of watches. Um, and recently I've gone to you know, the watch store, Tourneau, and I've been to some shoe stores and I haven't actually looked at briefcases very much, but I noticed that I'm kind of complete with all of that. Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, I'm not saying I won't buy a watch again or a briefcase, but you know, I surrendered to it. I gave myself over to those desires. And um, now I have some nice watches and a couple of nice brief briefcases. Um, I also wanted to, the idea of um, being free from friction or being free in friction. Um, you know, in, in compassion practice, we use the phrase freedom, may I be free from suffering. And so I was thinking when you were talking about that, about being free in suffering. And I was on retreat last month. Um, at IMS, and the first, I was going, I went up there really excited about having some real peaceful times, of course. And the first four days, I had a headache every day, and every time I closed my eyes in the hall, I felt dizzy. And um, um, it was really hard to feel any sense of freeness in that. Um, but after a couple days, I thought, well, this doesn't seem to be going away quickly, so how can I maybe be free? in it. Um, and I'm certainly not going to say I was or I was able to do that consistently, but I was, I think I touched into that because it seemed like that's all there was. Right. Yeah. So it sounds like you went from a, you know, that basically being oppositional to it, right? Freedom from it, it's got to stop happening and I've, or I've got to get away from it. Right? Exactly. To actually, oh, being interested in it kind of surrendering to it, we might say. Not in a passive way, but if that's what's happening, then that's the place of practice, not some elusive realm called freedom from that's over there somewhere. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. all. Yeah, thank you. It might be more appropriate for me to bring this up with someone like Pico Bodhi, who's a translator, but you're um, speaking of uh, your giving a twist on um, freedom from desires to freedom in desire. 
my little understanding of Pali is they don't have words like in and from that correspond with, you know, a lot of languages, Russian has a lot of, you know, it does not have, English has a lot of, of words that Russia doesn't have, you know, that, that the Russian language doesn't have. And um, uh, when you make, um, language can very much uh, determine how one uh, experiences the world. Uh, which is why it's so important for indigenous languages to be preserved, uh, because it's so central to their whole awareness, the whole awareness of existence. And uh, it popped into my head um, just just now that a person who's learning English would be very confused by the uh, contrast between self-awareness and self-consciousness you would expect them to be pretty much synonymous. But they're very, very different words with a very, very different meaning. And Pali has a lot of words like that as well, uh, where translators don't agree with what they actually mean. So a um, translation of the four foundations of mindfulness has been uh, suggested as the four aspects of mindfulness, that the word foundations isn't really warranted by the actual word that's used in Pali. So um, when you're learning you know, to understand Pali or you're reading various translations, um, it's a little hard to just let yourself be absorbed into the narrative when you know full good and well that a lot of these translations might be misleading. Yeah. And there might be some serious disagreement among translators as to how they would do that. Yeah. So this all has to do with your, your freedom in rather mm -hmm. than freedom from. Well, I think it depends whether one's interested as a scholar or a practitioner, right? So I would say, let the, I would myself let the scholars argue about the finer details of this and that. Well, I'm interested, like that's why I, would, I wrote to Bhikkhu Bodhi, for example, and sometimes, I mean, but the way I'm most interested in understanding what a Pali term might be right. as a practitioner is like is testing it out in the cauldron of my experience. So I don't know whether the texts mean freedom in or freedom from, for example, especially as there's no even word of in or from in Pali, right? No, there's no but corresponding word. I do know that when I, when I look at my experience, okay, and I say, let me be interested in desire, let me be interested in views and opinions, let me be interested in the, the constellation of a sense of self, let me in, be interested in how I get tight or create friction around that, and let me be interested in how that can free up. Then one extracts a, a, a practitioner's meaning from the text, which is different than a scholar's meaning. Right? Because it's, it's, it, it tells one how one can orientate to experience. And that's what you know, we're really interested in, or I'm really interested in. And then, in whatever language we've got, in this case, English, we try to you know, point. But we're not really, I'm not interested in the semantics, right, of whether it's freedom in or freedom from. I'm interested in, in, in just in us tasting the freeness that can arise. And yeah, it's true, like you say, language is, you know, there's no such thing as translation, in a way. Each language is its own world. And, you know, how many of you speak more than one language? 
right? Yeah, a few, like at least a quarter of the room, a third maybe. You know, we sort of, we have rough, but when one translates roughly, but some, there's, there's always places one gets to where we're not really translating, we're just approximating. And actually, it's a different communication, it's a different feel, it's a different world, I would say, that one enters into. I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm sort of a different person in a way, talking about the, the, the ways we can show up. I'm a different person when I'm speaking French and when I'm speaking English and when I'm speaking Hindi. And those are the three languages I speak. And, you know, and I can give you an approximation of translation, but actually... It's more, you know, I feel like my gestures are different, my t intonation's different. Uh, there's a certain emphaticness that comes out in one language and some more nuance in another and more sense of ambiguity in another. Hindi doesn't have a word. There's no distinction in Hindi between the word for yesterday and the word for tomorrow. Like they're the same word. Kal. And the word for the day after tomorrow and the word for the day before yesterday, parsum, same word. Well. So it, you know, there's a di that shows that's a different world. It's a different relationship to time, for example. There was a very funny episode of uh, South Park where um, they go to another planet and the, the aliens, much of their communication involves the word marklar. And everything is marklar, but it's distinguished by its context. So right. depending on the context, I'm marklar, you're marklar. Today is Marklar. Yeah. Tomorrow we will Marklar. And you know what Marklar means in, in the context. But other than that, it sounds like the same word. Yeah. Yeah. We have lots of words like that as well. Like, like write. You know? Go to the right. I'll write you a letter. It's all right. Uh, we have rites and rituals. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And they say, you know, there's this thing about the Eskimos having 15 words for snow or something. It's nothing. In France, we've got 3,000 words for cheese. <laughs> no. <laughs> yes, please. Elaine, um, so I found myself caught in listening to the conversation about desire and thinking about, um, I had just been listening to a talk by Ajahn Amaro and he was referring to something Sumedho said about like not want, mm -hmm. don't like not hate or something like that. And I was thinking about Vedna and to me the difference in my mind, in my view, there's a difference I think that I, and in our culture, as hedonistic as it is, we're trained to avoid, think pleasant is bad. And coming to meditation, you know, kind of like, oh no, I'm not supposed to be with pleasant. And, and so for me, the desire thing felt um, more challenging, confusing to sit with and consider, but the being willing to like, enjoy, stay with, without grasping onto, um, not like, without having to blame or get rid of, that, that feels to me is different than the texture of desire, which doesn't mean that I don't 
buy things or not buy things, but for me, from where I was sitting, um, hearing it, it felt like the desire was more um, So maybe personally for me in my practice, it feels like more thin, the, the ice is thinner. But maybe it's just... When that, you said the ice is thinner. Yeah, you know, that actually. if I'm venturing out into it, that I'll fall in. Uh -huh. um, or else that it just feels like um, I'm not really understanding because of um, you know, my conditioning about what I think the teachings are about. Well, what is it that you'll fall into? Uh, oh, eating a box of cookies, for example, or I mean, I don't, I don't know, things, you know, things like that. Um, I don't know. I was just noticing, or maybe it's a lot of a lack of trust in my something, self-control, or but with pleasant, I don't with Vedana, that feels like a a rich field of practice for me. Mm -hmm. And with desire, desire that's not chanda, you know, that's not aspiration or something, it, it uh, I mean, I'm interested that, I, that you said it. I'm just telling you I'm mm -hmm. holding it in some well, way. You know, in the progression, right, through the paticca samupada, uh -huh. so first there's the, ve the vedana, is then gets strengthened, right? And craving yeah. and clinging comes after the Vedana. So one can, like you're saying, just tracking, again, Vedana Nupasana, literally tracking the Vedana. Like, like you explained beautifully, you know, just tracking the, ah, the capacity to enjoy the pleasant without making much out of it. Right. Right? And then the capacity to just oh, to recognize oh, the, the uncomfortable and to kind of endure, to cultivate kanti. You know, patient endurance, hang out with, hang out with that without making much of it. And then, but nevertheless, it seems to me, like I was saying about this, human realm is a realm of desire. Body wants to be comfortable. It's not just that it prefers comfort to, dis to discomfort. It wants, it moves in that direction. So, and then the willingness to explore in that direction. And if you fall through the ice, it, it depends what kind of ice you fall into, right? But you don't look to me like you've got a big problem with eating a lot of cookies, right? Yeah. So if you fall through the ice and you eat a box of cookies, so what? So in, in the context of, um, you know, anything is worthy of awareness, and so the desire and the craving and everything is worthy of it not to be denied, I'm down with that, you know. That, that's fine. Uh, I'm not quite sure. Just I found that I had like a stop in my mind. Like it was, I couldn't, you know. Uh, yeah, and it, there was just something for me with it, which it's almost not a disagreement. I want you to know, it's not like it's a disagreement. It's okay. it's like I'm and it curious. Would be fine if it was. No, by the way. but yeah, it would be fine with me if it was. All we're also, but it feels to me like. Uh, there was some reactivity that I kind of want to look at. Right. That because I'm, you know, as I said, it's like, okay, I, I can be talking about that with Vedana, but I don't know if I want to, like, take the next step. Right. So it sounds like there's a little fear of what, what I was called entering into, tracking desire. There's a little fear of where that might go. It felt like I'm tracking desires 
that's practice, you know, tracking. I've recently been spending a heck of a lot of time tracking aversion uh -huh. and resentment and mm -hmm. a lot of blame and, you know, like that was the soup and I didn't like it, but that's what the practice was. Um, I don't know. There was something that you said that I had something with, like uh, almost like you were giving permission to something that maybe that's the something that you're lighting up. Yeah. Um, giving permission to something that. Uh, that if I'm there that's where I am and I want to be aware enough to look around, but not to be encouraged to go there, kind of. Do, do you know what I'm saying? Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Yeah. Well, yeah. I would say go gently. I certainly, yeah. while there might be some encouragement to look there when it arises, wow. I'm, I'm not, I don't want to be responsible for encouraging <laughs> you <laughs> to, to go there. I'm not, I'm not trying to strengthen the, you know, the, the falling through the ice, as you call it. And, you know, actually, I mean, desire, aversion sound like opposites, but in, in the same way, it's the same thing, right? Aversion is really the desire that things be otherwise. And so, in tr what have you noticed in tracking that? What do you notice about, about aversion when you track it? So... What I was experiencing was the tremendous amount of dukkha in living there and the tremendous amount of selfing in the narrative. So that how much I is in that narrative. Right. Yeah. So in other words, what I was calling friction oh. with, right, and asserting yeah. oneself around it. And, and I would say that's the same, whether we're tracking aversion or whether we're tracking desire, right? I mean, what, what we're tracking most essentially is the friction we create around it and the asserting of oneself around it and then the possibility of what would it be like if I wasn't doing that? It doesn't mean actually that the aversion or the um, desire would disappear. Sometimes they would. Sometimes it's really the, the aversion is only held together by assertion and, and, and friction. But sometimes there's good reason to feel that's not okay. And actually, when I put down the friction and the self-righteousness and the assertion, that's, it's that that actually then enables me to stand up and say, hey, that's not okay. You know? And then it's not aversion anymore. It's, it's protection or it's uh, uh, you know, speaking up in defense or support of someone or, or whatever it might be. Or, or even fierce compassion. Right. And same with the desire. When the, sometimes it's it's just the kind of that sort of, you know, coarse desire is mostly really held in place just by the, the, the fixation, and the the, the friction that we create. But actually, when we let go of that, there may, there's all kinds of wholesome desires oh, yeah. actually, right? And recognizing one's wish to bring something into being, one's capacity to bring something into being, one's responsibility to bring something into being. That's why I was emphasizing the generative or creative nature of it as well. And if we're too afraid to go there, we miss the generative and creative aspect as well. Yeah. 
Similarly, if we're, too if we're just buy into our aversion and, and we don't investigate the friction there, then we just invest in resentment and righteousness and we don't give ourselves the opportunity to actually be a, a skillful voice of, hey, that's not okay or we need to do that differently or, or whatever. Yeah, thank you, because when you were just talking about desire, I had this sense of, um, you know, the, the wholesome desire, this sense of expans expansiveness and possibility, and that tamping it down can, you know, the experience of making it small or deprivation or, right. yeah, yeah. Right, yeah, yeah, that's a good word, yeah. deprivation, disowned desire. Yes. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Uh, last one. Yeah. So I, uh, my question is um, about friction and how it re relates to fear slash resistance to change. Changing habits. Well, I would imagine you're in a better place to answer that than I am, right? I imagine there's a particular context to the fear and resistance to change that sure. you're mentioning. So how would you say it relates? Here you are, here you, there's whatever context in your life where you're feeling you know, anxious or nervous or fearful or resistant to what's happening. All those things. None. Uh -huh. And if you, if you track that, what, what do you find in your relationship to it that we might, you might call friction? What do you actually find phenomenal, phenomenologically. Uh, sometimes, well, often numbness. Uh -huh. Often numbness, nothing. Right. Hard right. to get past the, yeah, numbness. Yeah, yeah. And numbness is particular, right? It is hard to get past because it presents as absence. It presents as there's nothing there. Yeah, there's nothing to work with. Therefore, there's nothing to work with. Right. But actually, the feeling of nothingness or numbness is just as much an experience as the feeling of something. Mm -hmm. right? It presents as absence. But the very fact that you say, oh, nothing, there's nothing there. Okay, what if I stay with the sense of nothing, the sense of dulled or... or, or um, Numbed. Dead. Dead, right? What if I stay? It sounds like, well, dead means complete absence. But actually there is a, a feeling of deadness, right? a sense of you know, no access. Okay, right. no right. access. You, what if you stay? Rather than trying to demand that I get past it to experience something, and rather than just bouncing off it because it's dead, what if I stay with that sense of deadness mm. and then you might find that the deadness has certain qualities like it might have a, a dryness or a hardness or a coldness right and then you start to find nuances of a way in and if all you get at first is numb or dead or nothing just to see okay what if I come gently because it's not just what you're experiencing it's as much as that it's the qualities that you're bringing to letting yourself experience it so let me be patient with this, let me be kind to this, let me be attentive to this, let me be curious about this. Let me see what would happen if it presents as nothing, what would happen if I just stay and take care of this nothing? And then let's see. 
Right. Yeah. Except numbness presents as the, th the thing you can't do that with because there's nothing here. Right? Except it's not quite true. Thank you. Yeah. Okay, friends. Well, I've enjoyed myself today. So. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so thank you for coming and sitting and exploring and speaking and listening and attending you know, inwardly and outwardly. And um, if you like, we can do it all again tomorrow, I mean, a bit differently. Uh, so, yeah, I look forward to seeing you tomorrow and uh, wish you a, what? peaceful evening or a fun evening or whatever you're doing. Mostly I wish you a, f a free feeling evening amidst the inevitable friction of life. <laughs> so. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.